Welcome to the Jada Edwards podcast. For the next three episodes, we're going to do a short series on what it means to really love biblically, authentically, and intelligently. I call it the Love Well Project. Here is part three. So now we have arrived. We are here at part three. We have talked a little bit about uh, what it means to love well by loving smart, understanding people, understanding self, seeking understanding of God, what it means to love free. And that is really processing um, how we remove conditions from our relationships and how we remove expectations of our relationship with God, you know, forgiveness. So many things come with loving free. And all of that kind of culminates to this particular idea of loving close. What does it mean to love close? If I'm going to love well, I have to love close or closely. And when I think about this, I'm taken immediately to this image of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here you have a man, even though he was fully God, just the human part of him facing the heaviest moment of his time on earth. He knows that Calvary is looming. And even though his heart is willing and obedient, everything in his humanity is asking the father if there's another way for this this mission to be accomplished. And in this very vulnerable place, he brings in three of his closest disciples and he just asked them, can you sit with me while I pray? He didn't ask them for anything that seems unreasonable, but they failed. They fell asleep. And um, the fascinating part of this story, aside from all the weight it has on giving us insight into the life of Christ, it gives us insight into how Christ pursued community. Um, a man who was fully God was deity himself in his humanity pursued community. And you see that because when they fall asleep, Jesus does the illogical, unpredictable thing. The predictable thing, the logical thing would say, I'm unfriending you. I'm blocking you from my garden. Get out pretend we didn't know each other. I cannot believe you failed me. You are horrible. You need to go and search your soul for why you have failed me as a human. And maybe I'll just be distraught and lonely, but you got to go. But he does the unpredictable thing, the illogical thing. And he says, let's try again. Stay. He does not rescind the invitation. He says, stay, stay in this very personal space and let's, let's try again. He goes again to pray and he, for a second time, fall, finds them falling asleep or asleep. It actually happens another time. It happens three times. And he says, you couldn't just stay with me for a moment. And so there's so much that we see about how to have community, uh, what it means to love closely. We get to see that because we see Jesus at the height of his exposure that, that vulnerable place that says, I really need, I really need someone to come alongside me here. And um, he invites people to do that as we're supposed to, and they fail. But in their failure, they don't get expelled from the garden. They don't get kicked out because every failure um, is not a reason for separation. Um, it's not a reason to cancel community. And I think it's fascinating because we had someone who wasn't in the garden, right? Judas wasn't in the garden, but Peter was in the garden. He was one of the three. Peter, who denied Jesus, who failed and fell asleep on him, but was still um, given this charge to um, 
to have a conversation with Jesus and know that the church would be built and that he would be involved in the building of God's church. I mean, there's so much in that. And so to have this imperfection in our relationships, but the imperfection not be an excuse for ending relationships is, I think, a key to how we love closely. Now, some of you may say, okay, well, do I have to tell everything to everybody all the time forever? And no, we're not speaking in the extremes of toxic and unhealthy relationships. Those are the Judases that roam the earth. And um, obviously we have to be wise about anything that's abusive or unhealthy that we engage in. And I think you see a difference if you're if you look closely and you're discerning, you'll realize that most people are Peter. Um, There are Judases out there, but the average person that we encounter, I don't believe is a Judas with with ill intentions, with with plots and manipulation to to betray or to destroy a life. I believe most of them are Peters who have good intentions, but in their humanity and in their weakness, um, the closer we get to one another, the more hurt we are by each other's weaknesses. And Peters can be forgiven. Peters can be restored. Um, Sure, we have conversations and we set boundaries and maybe we share how we've been heard. But we give Peter's second and third chances because we're Peter. (laughs) We fail. We disappoint. And so to see Jesus in this place where he did not prioritize his personal or emotional safety, he prioritized this community is really mind blowing if you think about it. And there is a difference between you know, authenticity and vulnerability. And I think we use those words interchangeably, but really they're not. Authenticity speaks to truthfulness, honesty, genuineness. When someone says, is this an authentic painting? They want to know, is this the original? Is this what was first created? If it's a replica, then they're saying, oh, it looks like the original, but it's not authentic, right? You have authenticators who look at jewelry and painting and things of value. They want to know if this, if this, the original, basically, is it truthful? Is it honest? Um, Then vulnerability really has to do with exposure. It has to do with being susceptible to harm or unprotected. Authenticity says there's no pretense, Vulnerability says there's no protection. And so I think you can have both or you can have one or the other, depending on how God may be calling you into that relationship. I can be authentic and say um, marriage is very hard. If someone looks at my Instagram photo or sees me and my husband holding hands in church and they're like, oh, my God, hashtag goals. I want to be like y'all. And in my mind, I'm like, no, you don't just be you. Um If I'm inauthentic, I can say, oh, yeah, marriage is amazing. It has changed my life. This is my best friend. We have no secrets. I tell him everything. Life is good all the time. Every day is vacation and you should be married. My life is just amazing and it's better and blah, blah, blah. And I never give the hard parts. That's not authentic. That's inauthentic. I can be authentic in that moment even if I'm not vulnerable. The idea of loving closely is the idea of saying, God, how do I need to be in this moment? Where do I need to lean in into authenticity and or vulnerability? It's not that I do all those things all the time. Definitely, we need to always be authentic. 
We should always be honest. We should always be genuine, true to the original, right? True to who God has made us to be. But but our vulnerability may move along a spectrum. But the key is not that I dump the truck every single time. The key is that I'm open. So in order to love close, um, definitely authentic. I'm going to say, man, marriage is awesome, but it's also very hard. Um, marriage is amazing. I would not trade it, but it's also challenging, right? I, I can say those truths. And when I'm authentic, when you're authentic, you'd be amazed because people go, man, no one's ever really said that to me. And this is without telling all of your business. We haven't even gotten into vulnerability, just authentic, being authentic and saying this is what's true about marriage. And so that authenticity should be a given. We should always seek to be genuine, true and, and honest to who God has made us to be. The second part of that gets into vulnerability, which, again, you know, we don't always go to 10 every time I meet somebody, because that, that's a whole nother set of issues. If you have to tell your business to everyone all the time and you're trying to beat them to the punch and you're trying to use your vulnerability as a weapon, use it as a way to say, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm so honest with myself and I know I have these issues, but you're not using it authentically. You can have inauthentic vulnerability. Boom. Let's think about that. <laughs> you can have inauthentic vulnerability, meaning I expose myself and I share personal things or, you know, I, I make myself susceptible to rejection, whatever it is, but my motives are inauthentic. I am trying to use that to gain favor or to manipulate a situation. You don't want that either. Authenticity is the given. We're always supposed to be true and honest and genuine and then we decide how vulnerable God wants us to be in any given moment. And when I am seeking to love well, you know, and open to loving closely, then I'm trying to be discerning and say definitely authenticity is a given. So back in the marriage ex example, I say, yes, marriage is awesome. It's amazing, but it's hard. And sometimes things don't go great. And sometimes we still have to get through the day, even though we're not speaking. And sometimes we still have to co-parent even when we're not communicating. And there's other times where you're just so glad this person knows you. I'm giving all this truth, this authentic truth about marriage. And then I'm also asking God, Lord, how vulnerable do you want me to meet? Do you want me to say specifically something that I have dealt with or I am dealing with in my marriage? Because authentically, I can say marriage is joy and pain, it's highs and lows and all of these things. But vulnerability says, you know what? Because right now, me and my husband are in an argument. While I'm talking to you right now, we are currently in an argument that is unresolved. Now that's vulnerability. And I may or may not be called to do that in every interaction, but I need to be open to it because I cannot love well. I cannot love closely if I'm not number one, pursuing authenticity and open to vulnerability. That's really what it is. I'm in constant pursuit of authenticity. I don't want to be somebody different. I don't want to be somebody other than who I am. I don't want to misrepresent my life or misrepresent what I believe. I want to be authentic. But I also need to be open to vulnerability. Now, that's a sliding scale. I may be a, a 10 level vulnerability with someone or maybe a two. And it really has nothing to do with the closeness of the relationship. I mean, we all have long relationships where we have not been vulnerable. <laughs> We've got friends where it would probably take 
several friends together, maybe at our funeral (laughs) or our intervention to get together and know the whole story because we don't tell everything to everybody. And sometimes we are more vulnerable with strangers. We're in the beauty salon or we're at the grocery store or we're standing in line next to somebody randomly. We start telling our whole life story. So this is not even about how long and how well you've known someone. This is about the fact that if love is the command, it's the imperative of God then it has to be God driven, which means that there's going to be moments that I meet a stranger and God is going to say, you need to share this story. They need that encouragement from you. Um, and that is about me being number one, constantly pursuing authenticity. Number two, constantly open to vulnerability. And that's really what it means to, to love closely, to be willing to bring people in to this close, um, close proximity because we all have a garden of Gethsemane. We all have some space um, that we have to take a risk. There's really a risk that you're taking of being disappointed, of being hurt, being betrayed. And you could, you could pursue isolation in a very distant type of approach to engaging with people. Uh, You might be one of those people, the NNF people I call no new friends where you're just like, I'm good. I'm good. And, you know, I met all my friends. Uh, we, I kind of wrapped up that friendship thing around 11th grade <laughs> and I'm good. You know, everybody else, I'm going to keep it surface and shallow. Uh, man, I can tell you, you're going to miss out on some meaningful engagements, meaningful community, meaningful interactions, meaningful relationships that God has for you. Um, because it's, it's not about everybody becoming your best friend. Um, it's about what it means to have long-term community. You know, the God calls us to do life with people, small groups, friends. Uh, and then there's sometimes where we have uh, what I call like spontaneous community, right? You just might meet somebody at a certain moment and you're like, oh my God, this is divine. Um, God is telling me to share this thing. And you know what it's like. You've been on the receiving end where someone's been obedient to God and they shared something random about their personal life. They were vulnerable in a moment and it's what you needed for your own encouragement. So that works both ways. We know what that's like to to walk in that obedience, that spontaneous community. We might not start going to lunch every week. We might not keep up with each other. But in that moment, we were obedient. We loved well because we loved closely. We were willing to pursue vulnerability um, and authenticity. So I think it's it's a very, um, I don't think it's a definitive black and white, here's what you say in every situation, but if I'm in constant pursuit of authenticity um, and I'm open to vulnerability, I think we, we can land there. And just to know that disappointment's coming. You know, we dish out our own disappointment. I dish out my disappointment. That's for sure. So I I certainly expect that it's going to come. But, you know, I mean, I could be self-protective, like I was saying before. You could you could choose safety. Right. Because the opposite of vulnerability is protection. It's safety. So if I don't want to be vulnerable, then I'm going to make sure that nothing can hurt me. Self-protection, keeping everything at, at arm's length. And you could do that. You know, you could you could choose to be protected. But man, if we've learned anything over the past few years, there's a cost to isolation. There's a cost and not just physical isolation. There is a cost to emotional, spiritual isolation and we're not built for it. And so we don't survive it well. 
And so all the things we see with mental health and challenges and anxiety and all of these things, just a decreased satisfaction in life. And I'm talking about for Christians who have Jesus, right? And abundant life is the promise that we're supposed to be clinging to. Uh, we have this very unabundant, <laughs> unsatisfying life. And, and it's there's a lot of contributing factors to that. But I really believe isolation is one of them. You know, I, I think that we see Jesus at a moment where he really did not need anyone in his deity, but he wanted someone there. He wanted someone in that garden. He wanted someone. He wanted the Peter beside him when Judas was about to betray him. <laughs> That's how crazy relationships are, that the person who's betrayed you and hurt you because they they meant well, they didn't mean harm for you, but just in their brokenness and their humanity, they disappointed you, that that person might be the very person who stands with you when the person who had ill intentions comes to betray you. Ain't that something, y'all, that there are some Peters you might be trying to get rid of. And God is like, wait a minute, they're going to be for you when Judas comes. So you better let Peter make it. Y'all better talk about it. Talk it out and say, this is what hurt me. This is how I felt. And then you give grace because you realize nobody's perfect. Um, and, and Peter might be there. Peter might be the one standing there next to you when Judas comes to really betray you with ill and evil intentions. And that is just the beautiful complexity of human relationships. And it's the necessity of community. There is a risk. There's a risk to being in community. But gosh, the reward of being known, the reward of being known. And so I'll say this, that, you know, maybe I would say challenge yourself, ask yourself some really probing questions. You know, read the end of Psalm 139 where David is like, God, search me, you know, know me. See what's anxious in me. See what's not like you and then lead me in the way everlasting. Don't just try to uh, do the right thing. Let God search out what's in you because there's something. We all have something, some things that are keeping us from loving well. So just ask God, Lord, what what pain, what mistrust, what unforgiveness, what fear? What are the things that are keeping me from loving well? Um because those are the things that are also keeping you from being known in a way that God wants you to be known through through human relationships. And so, you know, there's a risk, like I said, to being in community. But what's the worst thing that's going to happen? That you're going to be exposed? Someone's going to know that you're not amazing. Someone's going to know your deepest pain. Someone's going to exploit. Someone's going to take advantage of you. Someone's going to embarrass you. Just what is that worst case scenario? Because whatever it is, Jesus went through it already. He said it's still worth the risk. After the ascension, he goes to find these jokers and says, listen, y'all, the ones that fell asleep on me, come here. Uh, I still want to be with you. I still want to talk to you. I have a charge for you. I want you and these others to be my witnesses. You who fell asleep on me, not once, not twice, but three times. You specifically, Peter, with your denying self. All right, you and all the rest of you, be my witnesses. I want you to tell the world who I am. Represent me to the world. Certainly not because you're perfect, right? But you're the people I choose. And so, you know, ask God, where, what is keeping me from loving well? What's keeping me from loving closely? Because God can heal you and he can put you in a place where even while you're healing, you can be pursuing uh, real relationships differently. Maybe not even new relationships, maybe current relationships where you need to be more authentic or more vulnerable. You just never know. 
But that openness, y'all, is everything. And I think that um, one of the reasons that believers, we haven't represented ourselves well, I don't just mean in public platforms. I mean in friendships and values and marriage at work (laughs) is because we're not loving well. And if Jesus says that the entire scriptures, that the entirety of scripture, all commandments, all that God has planned for us to know and understand hangs on love, loving God first with everything, your, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and then loving your neighbor. He's like, if everything is about love, he's saying when things don't go well, there's a love deficit. That's the natural implication of that statement that Jesus shares, which means when job is not going well, there's a love problem. Sure. Sure. There's work to be done and task and this person's not treating you right or this job is stressful, but there's a love problem. So, okay, how well am I loving God? How well am I loving people? Because that's when God can come into our rescue when we're doing our part. Um, to think that the success and all that we need in life is not built on excellence and discipline and diligence and creativity and it's love. Can you imagine? I don't even know that I would ever see myself saying that. It sounds mushy if you're not like a high emotional or relator kind of person, but it's just biblical. It's what it is. And so when marriage is crazy, when friends are crazy, when my finances are crazy, could it be that I'm not loving God well enough to trust him with my finances or to make choices that honor him with my money? Could everything really boil down to love? Man, if we were able to love well and we got that, can you imagine not just how our own quality of life would be improved, but how the world might be changed? (laughs) What the comment section might look like if we loved well, what marriage might look like, what parenting might look like, what men and women going hard on mission for God might look like, what forgiveness might look like. Everything will change when we learn to love well. So I hope this series has been encouraging for you and challenging. Listen over and over again if you need to. It's a subject that cannot be exhausted. Um, My prayer for you, my charge to you is that you love well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Love Well series. I hope you're encouraged and challenged. Make sure you leave a comment, leave a review, share and subscribe to the podcast.